Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to yet another episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens and I'm in the studio of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse sitting across the desk from Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Brother Nathan. Good evening, listening audience. In this episode, we're going to be discussing media bias. Is it real? What does it mean for you and me in our everyday life? And why is it important that we be aware of it? Do you know someone who needs to or would like to hear a Christian perspective on media bias? Message them, call them, text them. Tell them to tune in to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I want to say a special welcome to those who are joining us on Facebook Live this evening. It's good to have you joining in on the program. And if you have a question, you can just comment that question and it will be passed along to Pastor Murphy. This evening we're discussing media bias. Pastor, what do we mean when we say media? What does that encompass? Well, when we talk about the media, we're basically dealing with all forms of current means of communication, whether that be the radio, television, whether that be the computer, your iPhone, your Kindle, your magazine, your newspapers. Basically, we're talking about any means of public communication where the um, public is informed or educated or, or entertained. Would you include social media and Facebook? Of course, in Facebook, uh, media, Instagram, uh, Twitter, all of those are part of this whole concept of uh, media. And why is it important that we even have this discussion about media bias? Well, I think it's important because in the last uh, 50 years or so, uh, we've seen a dramatic mega shift in terms of our beliefs, our values, and our morals. Uh, I think we all agree that ideas that were once considered to be quite radical and immoral are now become mainstream, and secular ideas have so permeated the mind of Christians that substantially Christians uh, generally think the same way that the the non-Christian thinks. And all these surveys that have been done in trying to assess people's opinions on different uh, subjects uh, it is amazing that uh, Christians think so much like uh, modern society. It's almost, um, I could almost say this, that I think the biblical thinker is fast disappearing, and that's because the media has had such a profound effect on the thinking of believers. When it comes to such issues as divorce and abortion, premarital sex, homosexuality, alcoholism and um, use of alcohol, even the matter of political parties, there's not much variance between the Christian and the non-Christian. And again, I repeat, it's because the media has done such a, a, a pervasive job that it has really, in, in most ways, sanitized the minds of the believer so that rather than being guided by biblical principles and knowledge of the Word, 
they're now influenced by the media opinion. So you're going ahead and making the presumption that there is media bias. I don't think there's any question anybody can doubt that there's media bias. I think it is there. and It doesn't take a genius to see it either. It's clearly there. Is there is there such a thing as an unbiased person or an unbiased individual? Well, it depends on, on what we mean by uh, um, being unbiased. Uh, a bias is a mental leaning that we have. It's a prejudice that we hold to. It's a, an opinion that is held in disregard sometimes of the facts that would go contrary to that opinion. And it has to do with mostly with a subjective view that we hold to. I think, generally speaking, most people do have their biases. And I think it's important for us to understand there's no such thing as absolute objectivity. Uh, the media is not absolutely objective. Uh, they have got their own opinions and their own biases. And we've got ours as well. But it is misleading for anybody to assume that the media... Um, is not biased. It clearly is. You're listening to That's Truth, and we're discussing media bias. If you have a question about that topic or about any topic, about how the Bible, what does the Bible say about a specific uh, issue, feel free to contact us. You can send your question to WhatsApp or text at 268-782-1454. Again, WhatsApp or text to 268-782-1454. Or you can call and be put live on the air to 268-462-7420. Pastor Murphy, you said that you have no doubt that there's media bias. Do you have some proof to back that up? I not only have proof, but I have um, even people in the media, um, some quotations that we could probably use in that regard. Generally speaking, um, uh, when research is done to assess the attitude and the beliefs, of the press journalists, uh, they generally describe themselves and their colleagues as ideological liberals, especially when it comes to social and uh, moral issues. Um, media opinion and media behavior uh, in, in relation to social and moral issues is one of the most incriminating barometers that there is a left-wing uh, personal bias within the media. Uh, Walter uh, Cronkite, for example, he, I want to quote from him. He said, journalists are certainly liberal and possibly left of center as well. I think most, by definition, have to be liberal. And then he went on to define a liberal as someone not bound by doctrine or committed to any particular point of view in advance. So uh, clearly, uh, just using him alone, um, that the, 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 there's clear there, clarity there that there is some kind of, of, of bias going on in the media. Um, the thing about the uh, liberals uh, who dominate the, the media is that they don't have any fix on changing standard of belief. Uh, they are so they wouldn't believe in absolute truth. They are relativists, okay. and uh, they are trying to move the world in that direction. That is why there's such antipathy towards Christianity and uh, and the Bible and and the church, because um, any conception of absolutism is a great threat to the liberal press. But you know what's ironic is that the liberals claim that there's no absolute truth, 
yet that is an absolute in itself. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a ingrained in, 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 uh, bias there that um, that clearly uh, it's their position is, is not tenable. I'd like to share two quotes from individuals. And a number of the quotes that we share tonight may be from uh, media sources in the U.S., and there's a couple of reasons for that. One of the main reasons is that uh, it's hard to find published statistics and uh, studies that have been done in the Caribbean. But we do play BBC News five five days, five times a day, each weekday here on the Radio Lighthouse. And this comes from Andrew Marr, a political editor of the BBC News. He says, The BBC is a publicly funded urban organization with an abnormally large proportion of young people, of people in ethnic minorities, and almost certainly of gay people compared with the population at large. All this, he says, creates an innate liberal bias inside BBC. And another... Uh, BBC business editor Jeff Randall is quoted as saying, It is a bit like walking into a Sunday meeting of the Flat Earth Society. As they discuss great issues of the day, they discuss them from the point of view that the Earth is flat. If someone says, No, 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 the Earth is round, they think the person is an extremist. That's what it's like for someone with my right of center views working inside the BBC. I think that's well said, very well said. Um, so it, it's, it's public knowledge. I think anyone that listens to um, MSNBC, um, CNN, uh, CBS, uh, it becomes very, very clear that there's a, a left-leaning, leftist agenda uh, that is always constantly being pushed. The media is not neutral. It's, it's opinionated, and it wants to change human opinion, and it wants to mold the mind of society into their um, ideology, and that's basically a predetermined direction that they want to lead uh, the public. So they are generally leftists, they're liberal, they're secular, and they're humanists, and that falls within their uh, agenda. If I might say this, Nathan, a study was done by uh, uh, Robert Lichter uh, and Stanley Rothland of Columbia University. And they conducted some interviews to discover the opinions and the outlook and the morals and the goals that the media hierarchy uh, held to. And their findings were most revealing, and I just want to share some of those findings with you. Uh, first of all, 90% of all of them were pro-abortion. And that's why the media pushes abortion, because... That they, they hold to that opinion. 85% of them are pro-gay. Again, you understand then why the gay agenda has been, been pushed. The bias is towards abortion. The bias is towards the gay lifestyle. Only 15% of them strongly uh, agree that extramarital fa- uh, affair was immoral. Only 15%. Only 15%. Uh, 86% of them seldom or never, ever go to church. Uh, which is more interesting, 81 to 90% of them are Democrats. Uh, that gives you the idea of the leftist leaning of the media. There are also um, strong um, supporters of environmental protection. They're committed to the welfare state. And the vast majority are secular humanists. And what we mean by that when we talk about their being secular humanists, that means that they do not, they do not believe in God. They believe that God is a myth. They don't believe in absolutes. 
They believe that morality is relative, and they believe that traditional values uh, are outdated and meaningless, and the people that push them are completely ignorant. That also means that they believe that man is the center of the universe, that man has the ability and the responsibility to solve all of his problems. And if there are personal problems, they believe that psychiatry is a new uh, uh, high priest that can deal with all the issues that humans are faced with. They find conservatives irritating and believe that they are psychologically dysfunctional. That is the kind of situation you have in the media. I can also mention that they are pro-evolution, they are pro-same-sex marriage, they are pro-globalism, they are pro-Muslim, they are pro-marijuana, they are anti-Israel, and they are anti-God, and substantially anti-Christianity. I think that sums up, uh, in essence, the, the bias that is there uh, with the media. I have a question that's come in via WhatsApp from the UK. Because financing is necessary to stay on the air, Pastor, do you think media, due to funding, becomes biased to groups or individuals? Well, look, the bottom line for media is money. Uh, And there's no doubt that money speaks and money controls and directs uh, the direction in which the media houses would go. I am not too sure that the bias and the prejudice that they show is, is uh, predicated on the fact that um, it's those that have the money that use the, the media for advertising and that they're leaning in that direction because um, of the funding that comes in. Uh, I do believe that a lot of it has to do with the education in the universities. I believe that we are now reaping the whirlwind of what Darwin sold in the 1840s, uh, 18, in the 1800s, and is now coming home to roost And a lot of these people who are in the media were taught by people who were evolutionists, people who were anti-God, and they have now taken up positions in media houses. And so the ideology and the philosophy that was instructed to them and given to them and uh, um, brainwashed, basically, uh, that is now uh, coming to fruition within the media because these are the ones that are now at the head of these different media organizations. I wanted to share an example from a book entitled Bias by Bernard Goldberg. He was employed at CBS for over 30 years and wrote a book talking about bias in the media. He shares uh, an account. He says, she tells us about a hit song in Cairo, Damascus, and the West Bank, all of which are Arab areas. And this hit song with the catchy title, I Hate Israel. Why didn't I know about this? A computer check soon answered my question. On television, only CNN reported the I Hate Israel story. On radio, NPR did a piece, and so did the Christian Science Monitor and the Chicago Tribune. Can you imagine if a big hit song in Israel was I Hate Palestine or I Hate Arabs? The New York Times would have put that story on page one and then run an editorial just to make sure that we all got the message that the song is indecent and contributes to an atmosphere of hate. Very good example. Another example that comes to mind is when they had the uh, Arab Spring. Okay, a few Uh, years back. We all remember that. When the Muslim extremists were slaughtering Christians, and they were committed uh, Christian genocide of the Christian minorities. The Muslim majorities in West Africa, North, uh, Middle East, and 
Southeast Asia, um, they were ruthlessly destroying Christians, but yet the media was very silent on those matters. Um, civilizations that were there for centuries, Christians, were raised to the ground, and there was little, very little coverage in terms of the uh, Christians. Uh, remember also that no Christians were allowed to migrate to America, even though they were being killed. But yet there were thousands of Muslims that were allowed to come into uh, the American country. That was clearly uh, a media bias, and uh, the media uh, um, cried today Islamophobia, but they didn't cry uh, Christophobia there uh, as well. So that's another example. I think the most current example, in my judgment, is the Kavanaugh election uh, to the Supreme Court. I mean, any reasonable, sensible, objective, rational person could have seen the media bias. It was clear, very, very clear. The people who accused him, uh, with the exception of um, the, the doctor, um, she seemed to have had uh, something that happened to her. But the problem is, all four persons that she pointed out to substantiate her case when it was investigated, even her best friend, said it never happened. So, But clearly the media was completely biased that this conservative judge must not be on the Supreme Court. And they did everything possible to undermine his incredibility, destroy his family. And uh, they made him a monster, but the facts all spoke to the contrary. There was no presumption of innocence. They didn't look at the, the evidence. Uh, the concern was that he should not be the Supreme Judge uh, on the Supreme Court. Therefore, we must destroy him. Uh, so I think anybody that saw that matter, uh, it was clear bias, clear bias. And, but this is how the media is. It has got its agenda. It has got his leftist-leaning ideology. Um, it has an anti-God agenda. It has an anti-conservative agenda. And therefore, it pushes a narrative, and it tries to change the mindset and change the thinking of the person who listens. Now, I'm, I'm listening to you, Pastor, and you're making the assumption that the media has an influence. Let's discuss that for a little bit. Does the media, is it really that influential in society, or is society already where it is? Well, I don't think there's anybody here uh, listening uh, over the uh, radio would in any way dispute the fact that the media has a tremendous amount of influence and power. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, Alexander uh, Solzhenitsyn uh, wrote in 1978, and I want to quote what he said. He said, The press has become the greatest power within the Western countries, more powerful than the legislation, than, than legislature, the executive, or the judicial branch of government. This is his assessment of how powerful and how influential the, uh, the press is. Um, another author said these words, and I quote, when the opportunity to reach the masses is combined with the subliminal technology, the prospects are Orwellian. The motivational analysts and the uh, symbol uh, manipulator make a lethal team. In other words, by using both uh, subliminal technology and using a lot of symbolic manipulation, it gives the media tremendous power to influence uh, people's mind and thinking and to change uh, even the direction of our values. The entire modern society has changed since the 1960s. Morality has turned on its head. 
And we know seeing a mega shift in all of these in the areas of values and morale, but it's the media who is the catalyst behind a lot of this. So I don't think there's uh, any doubt at all that the media uh, is powerful instrument for um, behavior modification. Uh, by changing people, the media changes society, and I think is aware of its power that it has in that direction. I have came across a study that was done by the Parent Television Council, and they cite a RAND Corporation study of 2,000 adolescents, which showed that watching sex on TV influences teens to have sex. Youth aged 12 to 17 who watched more sexual content were much more likely to follow suit in real life. According to the study, those in the 90th percentile of TV sex viewing were almost twice as likely to engage in fornication as those who saw very little, such as those in the 10th percentile. That in itself gives a quantitative value to the an aspect of the influence of the media. Uh, media, I imagine you would define, would be even larger than just the the news media. It would be also entertainment, Hollywood. Yeah, the 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 whole um, gamut of of, of media is, is a very wide ranging um, that affects every aspect of society. They are the gatekeepers and the power brokers today, and they change attitudes, they alter behavior, they reverse values, they create desire, they manipulate perception, they can tarnish a group, and they school facts, and uh, they sway public opinion. They even create presidents. There's no doubt about that. That's how powerful and influential uh, the media is. So the influence is there, and I don't think anybody would dispute that. Uh, another thing very clear is that uh, people buy things that they don't need. <laughs> that need is created uh, by the media. Advertisement. Advertisement. Mm-hmm. So the, the power is there. And, and I mean, it's, it's billions of dollars that are spent by uh, businesses uh, because they recognize the tremendous influence of the media to sway opinion and to move people in a certain direction. I don't know if you're familiar, Pastor, with the name Malcolm X, the oh, yeah. American Muslim mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, human rights activist. He said, the media's the most powerful entity on earth. They have the power to make the innocent guilty, to make the guilty innocent, and that's power because they control the minds of the masses. I thought that was a very, very well, well said. And he, I think you, you would know that his, he had tremendous influence, but a lot of his influence, again, was a result of the media giving him that kind of exposure. Yeah. And they're aware of that. I want to uh, quote a, um, make a quote from a guy called Ernest Dixter. Uh, he's one of the founders of the modern uh, motivation research and he talks about the power of the media uh, to change our values and this is what he said he said what we are witnessing uh, in the, is the development of a new value system we are discovering the old Greek hedonism for better or for worse this type of social and economic climate erodes our traditions and uh, puritanical thinking what is happening is that the concept of original sin is being undermined uh, and proved to be false. Not only is self-denial not in style any longer, it has already become something to be ridiculed. 
Uh, often when we are dealing with activities that arouse guilt feelings, the problem of offering ablution and giving the subject permission to indulge in, uh, we have to resolve. Now here's a guy uh, talking with such it's grand terms that basically he's almost acting as a priest, uh, as an advertising person and a person who in, uses the media, that they would, uh, when there is guilt because they're pushing a particular product or a particular lifestyle, and they sense that the audience have that kind of guilt, they counteract that by offering some kind of ablution. Now, this, ablution this is the kind of terms that they're using so that they can indulge um, in whatever they want to. And that's, that gives you an idea of how powerful the media is in, in that regard. They're boasting of their capacity to um, relieve people of guilt and so lessen the, the impact of uh, allow them to do what they want to do that the media is pushing. We have a comment that has come in from Scott Hester, one of our broadcasters here on the Lighthouse. Uh, he says, and Pastor, I'd like to get your input on this. He says, in the U.S., public colleges and institutions of higher learning have indoctrinated the students in secular philosophies that are far left. The question is, what are believers supposed to do, and how do you respond to that bias? Well... First of all, I think that one of the things that we need to realize is that um, before you can deal with the problems, recognize the problem really exists. Um, I don't know how we are going to change. Um, uh, number one, we come to talk about how we're going to respond. I don't think our mission really is that we can change uh, society. Uh, I don't think that's the task that we have been given. Um, we cannot convert the culture. Our mandate really is to try to transform people's lives by giving the gospel. Uh, that transforming work of Christ will trickle down when that person goes into the workplace, that person goes into the university where they attend, that person goes into the school. But I don't think there is, we cannot uh, attempt to convert the culture or to conform uh, uh, or either conform to the culture. Uh, we've got to confront the culture with the gospel and by bringing about conversion in the individual, it is from the individual that goes back into whatever sphere uh, he's in, whether it be in the workplace, whether it be in college, in school, whatever, on the, on, in sports, whatever, then he uses that kind of influence to try to impact those around him. But I don't think it's something we can attack directly. The other uh, option would be is to recognize that since this is being indoctrinated into our students, whether at university or whatever, is the alternative creating the Christian school or the Christian university to help to counteract that. And then what we are trying to do here on the on the radio, we are trying to explain to the public and get this out in the marketplace what is happening to make people more aware so to be on their guard and not just to absorb and accept everything that's being told in the media as though it is absolute truth or, or unbiased truth. We're trying to alert them that they need to filter whatever they hear within a, a, a biblical framework. I came across some statistics in the book Media Revolution by Brian Fisher, and they they blew me away. And I wanted to share them and see if you thought they were, uh, get your thoughts on them, Pastor. This is a study between 1960 and 1997 on American society. American society saw an increase of 856 percent from 60 to 97, 1960 to 1997, in the number of couples living together out of wedlock. 
511% increase in the percentage of out-of-wedlock births, a 280% increase in violent crime, a 248% increase in the percentage of single-parent families, a 215% increase in juvenile violent crime, a 160% increase in the total crime rate, and then it goes on and on, and it says uh, a 33% decrease in marriage and a 106% increase in the number of children on welfare. Pastor, would you attribute that to society being influenced by media? Well, again, remember we talked about the fact that most of the media are liberals. Remember we said that they are substantially secular humanists. If you know what a humanist is, a humanist believes in sexual freedom. Uh, they basically um, are against any kind of moral absolutes. And uh, they believe that uh, adults should be able to indulge in any form of sexual activity as long as they're consenting adults. So, and that is being pushed by the media, this sexual freedom. For the 1960s, society has been transformed. Even within the Caribbean, we experienced a tremendous change in morality in the 60s, and that came about uh, through the, the drug movement and, the, and the, uh, the sexual liberation movement in the 60s. That... That, that has been carrying on in the media ever, ever since. I would hazard a guess that if a survey was done to investigate the lifestyle of most people who are in the media, it would be shocking not only the rate of divorce, but the rate of infidelity. Uh, so they have no morals, and basically they are pushing an immoral society because, again, as a humanist, God is a myth, uh, morality is a myth, and that philosophy is being pushed by the media in every direction. Bernard Goldberg, the author of the book Bias, says, But real media bias comes not so much from what party they attack. Liberal bias is a result of how they see the world. Would you agree with that as a pastor? That is, that is substantial because we all got a worldview. A Christian has a worldview, and our Christian worldview basically boils down to some basics. Like we believe that this is God, this is creation. We believe in the fall. Uh, we believe in redemption. Uh, we believe in, in transformation through the Holy Spirit, except we believe that that's our worldview. We believe the Lord is coming back. We believe in the second coming. We believe in a absolute morality. We believe, that's a Christian worldview. Uh, the opposite of that is a secular worldview, which is no God. There's no, there's no, there are no absolutes. There's no, no such thing as uh, morality. Society determines morality. Um, there are no set values that uh, apply to everybody, basically. Um, so man is at the center, and a man must solve all of his problems. As a matter of fact, a quote which says, there's no God that will save us, we must save ourselves. Mm -hmm. That is the humanist making those kind of statements. So the ideology uh, drives the, 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 the media and the personnel in the media, and they are trying to make this philosophy pervasive in society, just like we Christians try to convert the world. Their mission is to convert the world to their, their view and their ideology. So it's a clash of ideologies today, and that cannot be disputed. You're listening to That's Truth. Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy about the Bible, about what the Bible says on a particular topic, or about media bias? You can send your question via WhatsApp or text to 268-782-1454. Again, WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. Or if you'd like to call and be put live on the air, we would love for you to do that. 
And the number to call for that is 268-462-7420. Again, 268-462-7420. And if you have a question and you're watching on Facebook Live, just put that in the comments and it will get passed along to Pastor Murphy. Pastor, what are some techniques that the media uses or has used in order to shape society? Well, one of the things that did, several things that they do, one is um, what, I, what you might call saturation. What that really means is that they constantly bar, bombard you with a viewpoint. They hit you from all directions until eventually you become so desensitized to it. The moment you become desensitized to it, then you begin to tolerate it. And then we begin to tolerate it, at least the final acceptance. But this is by constantly bombarding you with this particular... It's like projecting... Uh, they want to promote, say, homosexuality. What do they do? They put it in movies. They put it in, in shows. They put it in books. They talk about it in the radio in a favorable way. You keep hearing it and keep hearing it and keep hearing it and keep hearing it. Uh, pretty soon you become desensitized to, to, the ma- to the matter. Then you find that you begin to tolerate this viewpoint. And toleration eventually leads to acceptance. So they use this, this saturation process of constantly bombarding you. The other thing that they do uh, is this, uh, what you might call association. They link a message, a program, or product, or person uh, with some respected institution or, or idea, like with a celebrity, or would would maybe um, link it with uh, success or, or fame, uh, so that you are able to. Uh, want to go in that direction and uh, they also exploit uh, human uh, motivational needs there is uh, something called psychographics you've heard of demographics but there is something called psychographics that they use and this is not now finding out what 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 people are in a location that they can target but they try to find out why people use or want or value or buy certain things and they try to find out the motivation, such as like the person has emotional insecurity, they want reassurance of their worth, or they got want ego gratification. Uh, maybe they want a sense of power, uh, their uh, sense of uh, roots. Uh, sometimes they want to, they want uh, what you might call virility, or they have ego fantasies, or there's some love de- deficit that they have that they need. And uh, having discovered these particular motivations and needs, the media now begins to target the uh, whatever um, advertising uh, to those particular specific needs. And of course, they use demographics, uh, look at the age, they look at the, um, the income, the education, the ethnicity of a particular group, and they could uh, come up with a, a program of, that would focus on that particular group to meet those, those particular needs. And then they pray on uh, human weaknesses. Uh, they pray on human guilt, uh, human fears, mm. anger, tension, loneliness, prejudices. They employ all forms of mechanisms to pray on these things. And then another thing that's very important is what you call subliminal uh, manipulation. And this is where they, they, they don't appeal direct to your consciousness. They have a subtle message that appeals to the subconscious. Sometimes what they do, they paint words or figures in the background that you would not pick up on, you look at very carefully at, unless it's pointed out to you. Sometimes, for example, I just saw one where they have the ad- advertising gin. 
Okay. And they have ice cubes in the gin, but on the ice cubes they got the word S E X X. You would never pick it up if you if you don't look at it very carefully, but your subconscious picks it up. Yeah. So what they do, they mass messages. Let's suppose they're wanting to drink Coke. They can flash that that you your eyes don't even pick up the the, the frequency in which it flashes, but your subconscious picks it up. Suddenly you find you got a, a, a desire for Coke. Yeah. Or I I hate um, I hate Republicans. Or I hate conservatives. Uh, that can be carried on in a, a subtle message as well. So they use uh, subliminal means, and then they no doubt manipulate your emotions, and um, they use statistics is another thing that they use. And, of course, you can use statistics to prove everything. They skew the statistics in that direction. They use half-truths and lopsided information. And very often, one of the things that they do is that they not only give you they withhold critical information so that your judgment is impaired in coming to some kind of a conclusion. And, of course, they label you. And uh, they associate you with some term that is negative, like intolerant or bigotry or homophobic or you're archaic or you're opinionated, you're narrow-minded or you're unprogressive, you're unscientific. Those kind of terms, once they label you that way, um, it can have a detrimental effect of how you're viewed. Those are just some of the, 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 the uh, ways that are used. Um, there is um, two other things I would mention to you as well. Um, um, for example, there's something called psychological obsolescence. And, and what that means is that they make the public uh, style conscious. And uh, so what they do, they frequently update styles. Uh, so that's, that's one way they, they try to get the product out, uh, make you very, very style conscious. Another one that is mentioned is dynamic obsolescence. And that is where what they do, they um, change the exterior very frequently. Nothing happens with the interior, but they just change the, the exterior. And they're always uh, making some pretense of improving something when in truth and fact all they're doing is changing the exterior. It is called dynamic obsolescence. Keep changing the exterior. And of course, today I don't have to tell you that you just change one thing in a phone and everybody buys a new phone, yeah. right? We are so addicted to the technology and they're exploiting us with, it, with all these subtleties. I don't think you mentioned this one, uh, the, the name game or changing names, like oh, instead oh, of yeah. being, uh, you want to talk yeah, about yeah. it? One, one of the classic ones, for example, pro-choice. This song, so noble, pro-choice. But that was changed from, uh, if you said pro-murder, the connotation and the denotation is a lot different. And that's why they've selectively used the word pro-choice. They don't talk about murdering babies. They're talking about the, the mother's right for pro-choice. So by changing the language, they've changed reality. And, and that is, is very, very common. Take the word gay that is used as, po- as opposed to sodomy. Uh, I mean, gay people are the very opposite of... of, of <laughs> sodomy is the very opposite of being gay. But again, it's a euphemistic term, and they're playing a game of semantics by changing words that sound more pleasant and become more acceptable. What do you think of this, Pastor? Matthew ten sixteen says that we should speak the truth in love. Uh, but when Christians, and this is Brian Fisher in the book, media revolution. He says, when Christians use the term pro-choice, they become unwitting accomplices to the pro-death movement's viral marketing scheme. Would you put it in those words? I think it's well said. I think it's well said. We got. I, I'm trying to become very careful that I don't talk about gay people. 
I talk sodomites, right? Because it, but you're so intolerant. Well, <laughs> I'm as intolerant as God is intolerant, and the Bible is intolerant. There's no question about it that the Bible condemns this lifestyle. It lists it as a perversion. We must not make it acceptable by changing the wording so that it becomes more pleasant. I think the harsh tones that uh, the Bible expresses it in, I think if they were used today, it would have a different attitude towards these things. But the media know how to manipulate the, the, the sensitivities of people, and they are using uh, a lot of euphemisms in order to change the whole, um, the whole thinking of people in relation to these matters. Pastor, as we uh, continue to discuss this topic, how should we as a Christian respond to media bias? Well, first of all, I would like us to suggest to you that um, we must try not to conform to the culture and go with the flow. Uh, the Bible speaks to this matter very clearly in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, that we must not allow the mold to fit us, allow to fit us into the world to fit us into its mold, be not conformed to the world. So we've got to make sure that uh, we are culturally different uh, as Christians. As I pointed out to you, our goal and our mandate has never been to convert the world. Um, we, like somebody has said, our job is not to rearrange chairs on the deck of the Titanic because this world is sinking, <laughs> okay? Uh, it is condemned to judgment. And we are not told to disinfect it nor sanitize the world. Um, we are told to, that we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And we are to uh, stand out from the world and call the world to escape the wrath to come. Uh, so we must not conform to it, and we must not in any way envisage that our job is to convert it. Uh, we are not to do that. What we are to do is to confront the culture with the Christian gospel, with Christian principles, and with scriptural truth. Our goal is to convert uh, the culture. And as far as the media is concerned, uh, we have to be very, very careful as, as people that we not only uh, filter the media through a Christian uh, Greek or a Christian paradigm, as it were, uh, we also have to be very careful that what we're exposed to, what we watch, etc., uh, etc., and we need to engage as well, positively, given the, the, the opposite of what the media is saying. We need to speak truth. When they're speaking Arabic, we need to speak truth. Uh, so I think that's a few things that we can do. You Christians are so narrow-minded and biased. You just need to open up your mind. How would you respond to that? Well, look, um, those that do not believe that there's a God or do not believe in absolutes, uh, they're in a collision course with Jesus Christ because he himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, he was absolute in his position. He was dogmatic in his position. And we are people who embrace the Christian faith. We've embraced him as our Messiah, as our Savior. And uh, what the Bible condemns, we condemn. What the Bible supports, we support. So we we will have our bias because our commitment is first to Him. And um, we are told in the Bible that we are going to all the world and preach to God and make disciples, teaching to observe all that He said to them. So we are controlled by what He has said in His Word and what the Word of God says. Um, so, in a sense, we are biased, 
because we're biased towards God, we're biased towards Scripture, because of our complete dedication, commitment uh, to Him. So I am not going to be unapologetic. I'm unapologetic about my position in these matters. I'm against. I'm against such things as abortion. Uh, I'm against homosexuality. I'm against lesbianism. I'm against um, premarital sex. Uh, I'm against adultery. I'm against divorce. Uh, I'm against uh, gay marriages. I'm against same-sex marriage. I'm against this transgender movement. And again, the reason for being against these things and biased against these things is simple. The Bible speaks to these matters with clarity. There's no question on these matters whatsoever. And it's only Christians who are nominal only in their profession that are ambivalent on these clear moral and social issues. You're listening to That's Truth, and you're listening to Pastor Murphy explain what the Bible says. And very clearly, I must say, explain it. The time across the Eastern Caribbean is now 8.17. If you have a question for Pastor Murphy, feel free to WhatsApp or text it to the following number, 268-782-1454. And, Pastor, we have a caller on the line from Belmont, Antigua. Thank you for calling. Go ahead. Yes, good night to you and Pastor Murphy and to the listeners. Good evening. It's it's a very informative program, and um, I've been listening for maybe a couple of months now. And um, what I've been doing, I've been inviting others to listen to this program um, on Tuesday night, right? Well, thank you. Keep up the good work of inviting well, others. Even, um, even last night on an, um, another radar, I read this program um, on the radio station. I invited two pastors to tune in to listen to you. I told them Pastor Murphy could um, enlighten them on certain things pertaining to the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? But, but Pastor Murphy, um, last Tuesday, last Tuesday um, night, right? You, you made a statement that kind of baffled me, and I'll tell you what you did. Somebody come, call, uh, text you and told you, um, if you were in a situation where a person have a gun at your head, mm-hmm. and they say you're in a building, and they ask you if there are any more persons in the building, if you were still alive in order to save the other person's lives. And here's what you said, Pastor Murphy, you said, um, under circumstances like that, you would probably tell a lie to save the other's life and then make it up with God afterwards. Now, I suffer because of this. Now, if you read Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Pastor Murphy, right? As a believer, here it says, Again, I send to you that fear not them that kill the body, but are not able to destroy the soul. Hmm. But fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Yeah. So I would have used, as a person under that situation, knowing it's a person and the man wants to die, so I'd rather die for the truth because yeah. the person with a gun at my head, I would not be able to preempt and say, okay, if I talk the truth, you kill all of us. I would not be able to do that. So by telling the truth, now you may say, okay, because if I tell a lie and it's just the building, and find the other persons in the building. He may be getting angry, and then he take me out, you understand? Uh-huh. So I, I was baffled when you um, made that, that, that statement. They say, Pastor Murphy, all you have to do apply Matthew 10, 28. Uh-huh. Let me respond to you, though. I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned the point, because I've had some thought on that same matter. Um, I thought of it afterwards, uh-huh. it was, uh, and I have had some reflection. What I probably should have said on, on the occasion there is that, number one, I should have not have entertained the idea, because I don't like speculation. Uh, number two, I surely should have um, said I 
don't know what I would have done in that situation in, in, in this sense that uh, Jesus said that when you find yourself in those situations don't um, don't worry what you're going to say uh, he said that the Spirit of God would give you what to say. That's what I should have said at the, at, on that occasion, really. I should have I should have said that, you know, I don't know what I would have done, but according to Scripture, when they begin to do certain things to you and you don't know what to say, mm-hmm. uh, the Spirit of God would give you the wisdom as, as to know what to say. But my concern was not for my flesh in that case. My concern was for the other person. That's why I pointed out that if it was a matter of dying for the faith, there'd be no question there. But my concern was the innocent persons who might die as a result of divulging certain information. But your point is valid. Your point is valid. In those situations where we're not too sure what we should do, uh, it's presumptuous to make, to, 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 uh, to already pre-plan in our minds what should be done. We should be asking God, what do I do in this situation? And leave it to Him to guide you in that matter, especially He has said in His Word, uh, when they begin to persecute you and bring you before the, the Sanhedrin, etc., etc., and you don't know what to say, don't worry about it. He will give you what to say at that point in time. So I think that would have been the better answer. And I thank you for, for mentioning that because I did reflect on it afterwards. Thank you for that call. Uh, Pastor, along the lines of media bias, I came across this quote. Uh, we spend too much time in front of the TV We spend so much time in front of the TV that we meet the criteria for substance abuse in the official psychiatric manual. I thought that was a pretty telling statement. Uh And then it goes on to say that we potentially spend a great deal more time walking in the counsel of the wicked than we do in feeding ourselves in the truth of God. Would you say that that would be a key way to fight uh, the media influence, the media bias? Well, I, I think the, the, the assessment that is given there is, is, is an honest assessment. I think we spend far too much time watching what I call the idiot box. Um, we really have allowed uh, the desire for entertainment uh, to really pretty much make us addicted to the media. And we have been conditioned. You know, when the light goes out, people panic. When the electricity goes off, people panic. They don't know what to do because they're so much dependent on television and the media, etc. Um, and that's because we've been so conditioned. And I do think that it is something that we need to reevaluate how much time we spend uh, before television, the media, etc., etc. And remember that everything that we've ever seen or watched is imprinted in our psyche, mm. and it's there. It's not you can't remove it. It is there. And that is why sometimes when you are praying or sometimes you're sleeping, you're having all kinds of weird. And when you go back to check the dream you've had, you can see that some of the things that you had seen last week, it is reconfigured in a different way, but you can almost understand where it is coming from because your subconscious has picked that up. And I do feel that uh, we are being influenced very, very subtly by these different exposures to the amount of time we spend. And we ought to really use our time much more wisely and watch it and control it. I think it's part of our Christian discipline that we do so. I think we would all agree that media and entertainment has, the world we live in, has reprogrammed us to have a shorter attention span than we would had we been reading books. Now, since that's a a well-accepted fact, Pastor, should we be making our churches more like entertainment in order to be able to attract the world and to reach the world with the gospel? 
I have a problem with the pervasive level of entertainment that we've now brought into the church. Um, it's not only the ear of music, now they're introducing dramatic dancing, they're bringing in uh, a whole cadre of different forms to, to attract people. i just like to tell churches and pastors who may be listening that what you win people with, you'll have to keep them by. If you win them by scripture and uh, they're truly, genuinely, authentically converted, uh, they will stay with scripture. If you win them by music and entertainment, you've got to increase the entertainment because entertainment becomes boring after a while. You've got to change it um, and you've got to move with the tide. Uh, I think that's a massive mistake that we have. I think we have to watch the quality of what we do as well. I sometimes, once in a while, not deliberately, but in passing, I see um, some programs on television and the dancing the I, I it's so disgusting that I, I, I can imagine God and by the way it's the, the, the audience is so wrapped up in it they're clapping they're, they're doing all, nothing wrong with clapping don't misunderstand me but but when you look at it and you begin to see the parading the dancing the the the, the noise and I'm saying but this is totally man-centered there's nothing about this that brings my attention to God, uh, focus my mind on God. Uh, it's just playing with my emotions, making me feel good. But what does that have to do with my conception of God? And I think this is one of the great disservices that is being done by the church, that we're not elevating man's view of God. We are catering to the people's feelings and emotions by this high level of entertainment so that we can... We can have entertainment for an hour and a half, and then we get a 15-minute tidbit message. What is that saying? There's such an imbalance there. And I think churches need to be watchful uh, in this regard as well. There are some people out there that will swallow things proverbially. They'll say, I saw it online. It must be true. I heard it on radio or television. Surely it's true. Pastor, does the Bible give us a lens to view things in order to ensure that it's truth? Well, um, there are some things that we could uh, mention in that regard. Uh, first of all, if it is not consistent with biblical truth, it is absolutely false. That is one of the things that we need to clarify in our minds. Uh, in spite of who is pushing it, in spite of um, media bias, um, in spite of the bombarding of these ideas and trying to change our minds, we got to filter everything that we hear out there uh, through the prism of God's Word. That is one of the, the basic um, uh, fundamental uh, important principles. The other thing is that we have to develop what I call a Christian worldview a philosophy of life, uh, how we view rea uh, reality. And there is a distinctive uh, Christian worldview that we have to use as a grid, uh, a network uh, by which we, we assess uh, these different matters. I, I mentioned it a moment ago. I might need to repeat it for just a moment. But clearly, um, there must be a firm belief in a true living God. Anything in the media that contradicts that, anything, it doesn't matter, it is false. There must also be the idea, uh, the, the, the hold to the position that there is such a thing as man's sin and man's fall. The idea that man is good, the idea that ma uh, man is okay, I'm okay, you're okay, that's being pushed by psychology, is totally false. Uh, the other thing is, of course, that you must have a, a Christian anthropology. 
understanding what the Bible teaches about man in terms of his fallen state, what his need is, and that he is driven by his desires and his lust. That is his problem. Uh, unless you understand that, you'll never understand man. And that gives you an idea how you can help uh, evaluate what is being pushed in that direction. And then, of course, the biblical uh, view involves the fact that man needs transformation. So there needs to be the gospel. Any solution, uh, any ideology or any, uh, any um, agent or any media or any, any whatever that pushes that there's a solution outside of Jesus Christ is false totally false. Man needs to be redeemed, and this is the solution to the human problem. So any other uh, solution that is offered uh, in the media or any other way uh, clearly has to be rejected by the Christian. So by having a, a Christian framework, a Christian philosophy, by having the Bible as your base, etc., and then I would suggest another thing that needs to be done to help the believer. One of the things that I think is, is missing is that we don't know our history. We don't understand church history. We don't understand the struggles that the church has had over the years. And we're not grounded in, 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 in uh, the, the history of our doctrine. Consequently, we're easily misled and we're not alert to what is happening. So I think those are just a few of the basic things I think are important. If there's so much confusion out there and you just referenced that man needs to be redeemed, what is true salvation, Pastor? Well... Uh, salvation begins with a recognition that one is a sinner before God and that one is totally unable to save himself. There must be conviction that one is a not a good sinner, a desperate sinner, as Paul was said, the worst of sinners. It begins with that sense that there's something wrong in my life, that God has been working in my life, and that I am totally inadequate, that I need to get in touch with uh, a transcendent being called God it begins with that movement in the direction where I'm dissatisfied with myself I'm conscious of my sinful nature and that something needs to be done that is the convicting work of the Holy Spirit it begins with a sense a deep sense of sin and a deep sense of one's lostness when that begins to, to take place uh, the Holy Spirit's job then is to convict you of sin and of righteousness and of judgment Having seen my sin, what I need now is righteousness, because that's the solution. Where do I get this righteousness from? Well, there is something called imputed righteousness that is given to us through Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit moves you in a direction where you're sinful, you know you need righteousness, and then it points you to Christ, who is the righteous one. And then, of course, uh, the Bible will lead you to the point where what you need to do is to put your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, in order that you may be redeemed. Uh, a person not saved by keeping the law, he's not saved by uh, church rituals, he's not saved by becoming a member of, the, of a church. A person saved when they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the one who paid the debt for sins, can offer forgiveness and pardon, and restore his relationship with God. It brings him in contact with God. When a person then puts their faith and trust in Christ, he then finds that the Bible offers him assurance. Uh, he discovers when he goes into the Word that he's sealed until the day of redemption, that is, until Christ comes back. And what he begins to understand is that he now needs the Word of God so that he can grow and mature. The Bible said, man should not live by what? By bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, that we may grow thereby. And this is where the Word of God becomes a daily part of a person's life. 
and this helps it to mature and develop along with that of course is personal prayer and then I would suggest to anybody who is truly converted that the Lord is going to lead them into a good gospel preaching church because Christ founded the church so they can be a community of believers uh, we are not lone rangers we need each other and we need the help of other believers who can help us to mature the Bible says iron sharpeneth iron and we need other people in, in our own lives to help us to develop as Christians you're listening to That's Truth if you have a question for Pastor Murphy go ahead and send it to 268 send it via WhatsApp or text to 268 782 again WhatsApp or text your question to 268 268- Seven eight two one four five four, or you can call and be put live on the air two six eight four six two seventy four twenty. Pastor, we have two questions that have come in from Antigua. Uh, three questions that have come in from Antigua. The first one: Do you believe that spiritual leaders are in competition with the media in keeping the Bible-believing Christians intact in their spiritual walk? How would you encourage leaders to combat the influence of media on believers? I want to read a passage to the, uh, the person who asked that question because uh, it's taken from the book of Hosea. And it's an interesting passage because uh, it is significant what the Lord says in Hosea. is almost like a, a parallel to what is going on in society and how the situation we face with. But I want you to point out who the Lord uh, held responsible for the decline of the morality in the country. Uh, Hosea chapter 4 says this, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is only swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bonds bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed then it goes on to say yet let no one contend and let none accuse for with you is my contention O priest and notice uh, what he said my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge I reject you from being a priest to me the blame is laid squarely at the feet of the religious leader of the land. He mentions all... By the way, it's significant that what he mentions here, um, he talks about the land is full of swearing and lying and murder and stealing, committing adultery, they break all bonds, bloodshed. That is almost a, a picture of what we have today. Yeah. But he turns to them, and who does he blame? He blames the priests. He said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And then he turns and he says, I reject you from being a priest to me. The church and the leaders of the church and the pastors of the church are responsible for the moral tone of a country. They are the ones that set should be the, should the standards of morality, etc. And I think that because we failed in this regard, we are going to be held responsible. We are not preaching as we should. We're not in the marketplace with Christian ideas as we should. We've almost withdrawn into the four corners of our church, and we are not getting uh, the impact we have by trying to get the message of the gospel and the truth of the word into the marketplace, into the hearts and minds of men. And uh, we have not, uh, the church 
has not set the moral tone for society, and it was once the conscience of, of the nation. It no longer is because the church itself has become so backslidden that as a consequence, it has lost its power to influence uh, the generation. Another question that has come in from Antigua via WhatsApp. Should pastors and church speak out on issues affecting people and the nation? Example, seniors not getting paid in injustice to the name of a few because the pastors and the church are not being bashed for being silent. But I think the Bible asks us to pray and separate. I am not too sure if the person is asking us, the, the pastors, that we begin to preach the social gospel, where we begin to deal with all kinds of social issues. I'm not too sure if that's where the direction is going. All I would say is that the primary purpose of the church is to preach the glad tidings of the gospel to the world. It does have a responsibility to speak to the matter of injustice and social issues. If you read the Old Testament prophets, very frequently they dealt with these kind of matters. Uh, I, I do feel that pastors should write more in, in, in the press on these matters. Uh, but when it comes to the pulpit, unless a minister of government is there or somebody who is uh, practicing some form of injustice, um, I, I, I think we ought to concentrate on trying to edify believers in the church and trying to preach uh, truth to the, to the needs. But I, I do feel that we have an obligation as well that when there's injustice being done, etc., that we should speak to those issues, we should write to those issues. And when we have a program like we have here, I do think we ought to voice our opinion on these matters. And if the government is failing in, its, in a particular area, I think it's right and proper that a pastor or leader should draw that to the government's attention. But I am trying to avoid the idea that our job is to just get out there and deal with social issues. That's not the main purpose of the church. The main purpose of the church is the, the, the evangelism of the world and the edification of the saints. Other side issues play a part, but it must not become the, the dominant role of the church. Is that because lasting change comes from the heart, change of the heart? The only way you can change society is by changing people. Society cannot change without changing people. The way you change the society and people, you change the individual. And again, I, I keep saying to people, you know, that if we can uh, preach the gospel and people get converted, you take a government minister for just an example. Let's suppose that he got converted, genuinely, authentically converted, and he takes his uh, Christian uh, sentiments, his Christian views, into the political arena. Uh, there would be change in his department. There would be change in his area, his portfolio, the way he handles things, the way he responds, etc., etc. Uh, a person in business, for example, it takes it back to the boardroom. They will be impacted. It's just like Wilberforce uh, being a minister of government and how he lobbied for the abolition of slavery. He took his Christianity and didn't leave it in the church. Thank God he didn't which is what we're being told today, just leave it in the church. If he did, where would we be today? The individual who is converted now takes his Christian faith and he carries with him wherever he is. And that becomes an influential factor in all that he does, all that he thinks. And uh, every aspect of his life is now influenced by his Christian faith. Got another question from a listener, and then we're going to talk about the effects of media bias. Often on Facebook, a Christian will post a beautiful photo or poem or scripture, and then at the end it will say something like, 
If you share this, Jesus will bless you. Or if you don't share it, you are supporting the devil. Are these things helping the cause of Christ? And is a Christian obligated to share these? Will Jesus really bless you for sharing a photo on Facebook? You know, I, I, I think we're becoming silly in a lot of things, to be very honest with you. Um, I am not too sure who um, could ever conceive that unless I uh, f- forward a picture or some verse or whatever, uh, I'm going to be cursed, the devil will get me, or if I do send it, God is going to bless me. I, I don't know where we get that kind of idea from. I just think this is something that's come up from, concocted from the human imagination. It has no biblical base for it. I do know that God will bless his word. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bible promises that, especially in the book of Revelation, who that readeth these things or heareth these things, the Lord has promised a blessing. But I think it is quite silly and quite audacious, uh, quite impertinent to even suggest that if I don't forward something you send, I am going to be satanically attacked or I am going to be um, somehow suffer the loss of God's blessing. Uh, Let's be guided by Scripture and not just by your human thinking or human opinion. We've got 20 minutes left in the program, Pastor. Let's spend some time talking about the effects of media bias. Um, okay. Uh, l- rather than just deal with media bias, let me just talk about the effects of media, generally speaking, okay. and then we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll talk yeah. about that. Uh, one of the things that it has really that we have become, um, s- s- there's something called now technopoly. I don't know if you heard the term technopoly, but what it means is we become addicted yeah. to technology. That's one of the real problems today. We're plugged in too much, to be very honest with you. I have often said this on the pulpit. I wonder how God is able to speak to us today. Mm-hmm. If it's not the cell phone, it's not the, uh, we've we got the earphones and we've got the music going on. We, we just, if we're not um, texting, you know, we're constantly, constantly preoccupied. Our mind is engaged, constantly engaged because we're addicted to this technology. Uh, we can't even sit in a restaurant and enjoy a meal except we're looking at a cell phone or seeing what is coming on WhatsApp or whatever it is. Uh, I think we are in a a dilemma because of that, and I think that to some extent, uh, I don't think we are in tune to God, and I don't think we've created the environment where God could speak to us, because if you read the scriptures, often God speaks to us in silence, when we are quiet. Etc. Etc. But we are totally engaged. I think that's one of the uh, the big problems that we have. And then the other one is shortened attention span. This is affecting not just um, uh, people in church, but it's affecting uh, students in school. They find that the lecture they teach is boring uh, because uh, we've been the media has been flashing all of these. Um, these uh, frames, uh, 100 frames per second sometimes. Uh, they're ever-changing. Uh, we This high-definition, Technicolor, 4D, you just mentioned, we see all of that. Then we come to school, and all we got is black and white, or all we got is a, little, a board. I think that has affected the attention span of, of students, and it affects the level of competence and education and the the interest that kids have in school. Uh, the average kid would probably tell you in comparison to what he has at school and what he has in the media, it's boring. Got a question for sure. you in relation to that. Since you have uh, raised children and since you're a pastor and you've done a lot of counseling, 
What are your thoughts on a parent handing a, a young child, I'm talking even three years old, a tablet or an iPad in order to entertain the child while the parent is cooking? I think it's a massive mistake, to be very honest with you. Um, I, I know of one incident like that, and somebody very close to me, um, because the child had done fairly well in school, they asked the child what they wanted, and basically it was one of these games, video games, and they bought it. And from then, their performance at school and their level of education plummeted. It took over the child's life. I had warned the person before that this is what going to happen. But again, you know, children go to school, they go to their friend's home, they got this item, that next item. If I were a parent, I would concentrate on making my child a reader for the first seven formative years of his life. He should become a reader. I would buy books, uh, etc. I would put away all of these gadgetry, and uh, that's for later stage in life. But get him into the habit of reading. Uh, I think that's the answer to education. Reading, reading, reading. Uh, so I think it's a mistake, and I would advise... The other thing, you, you just made the point there, I would not give my child uh, a cell phone that has a screen that they can get on the internet and see stuff like that. Why is that? Because of the level of pornography today. Okay. The greatest problem that these young people have faced is pornography, no question about that. And you've actually put a tool in their hand that is going to be exploited. Mm -hmm. And the moment a child sees pornography, it's not going to take long before he becomes addicted. What's a phone for? A phone for, it's to, to call mom and for mom to call you. That is the initial purpose of a phone. But I think it's a mistake uh, that parents are making to give children with all these phones, with got all this gadgetry, and they can see all this kind of thing. And I would suggest that um, you're actually destroying the child inadvertently. And you have to be very watchful with the technology. Now, we know they, they, they can't escape technology. But get them into reading. Get into the habit of reading. Later on, I'll tell you why. If you get into the habit of reading, it carries with them. If they get hooked on technology, they'll never become good readers. Uh, and I think that's a mistake that's being made. Any other effects of media that you'd like to mention? Or well, effects of technology? Uh, well, it's shifted us from um, being a kind of a graphic society reading society to a visual society and now it's no longer the script that we look at it's a screen and I think that is something so the shift in the way that we view life uh, etc in addition to that um, I think it has trivialized life Um, it has made us more uh, excessively narcissistic in the sense that uh, we're now everything is about self uh, that is our focus. And it's made us more mentally passive. In other words, rather than thinking today, everything thinks for us. The information is right there. We no longer need to think things through because there's such an availability of information uh, that it is so overwhelming. So I think that that has stopped us from from, from, from thinking uh, to some extent. That, that's one of the, the effects that it's had uh, upon modern society. I had something I want to share with the uh, the audience. Uh, in 1931, uh, Aldous Huxley wrote the book, The Brave New World. And uh, George Orwell wrote a book in 19, called 1984. 
The difference between the two of these is that Orwell feared that there would be those who banned books. Uh, Huxley feared that it's not a matter of those who ban books, but there may be no people to read books. And what he meant by that is this, is that there would be such an overwhelming flow of information fed to the average man that he would stop thinking and stop reading and become passive. And that is exactly where we are today. Uh, thinking has stopped, basically become very, very passive. So it's not that uh, there would be no books and there'd be no information. There'd be so much an overwhelming amount of information that we no longer think creatively. And I think that that is where we are, uh, more the Huxleyan type of world than really the, uh, the Orwellian type of world today. You're listening to That's Truth, and we have 10 minutes left in the program. If you have a question for Pastor Murphy, go ahead and call or send your WhatsApp or text. It's two different numbers. If you'd like to call and be put live on the air, that number is 268-462-7420. I'll give that to you one more time. To be call to call and be put live on the air two six eight four six two seven four two zero, or if you would like to WhatsApp or text your question to Pastor Murphy, you can do that at two six eight seven eight two one four five four, WhatsApp or text two six eight seven eight two one four five four. One other thing I would like to say about Nathan, and that is that the media uh, basically targets more our emotion aspect of ourselves than, than actually the main. Uh, Bob Pittman, the guy that founded MTV, this is what he said. He said, the strongest appeal you can make is emotional. If you get their emotions going, uh, make them forget logic, you've got them. And I think that the media has been very instrumental in um, making us more emotionally oriented and feeling oriented uh, in order to, to change so that we would not engage so much in rational thought or thinking. The other thing I would like to just say very briefly is that uh, the fact that the uh, we become visual and the use of the visual, uh, Satan is very much aware of the visual. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, in dealing with Eve's, uh, Eve, uh, it said that when she saw and when it was pleasant to the eyes, uh, he, he was able to tempt her. Remember that when he was dealing with Christ, uh, he used the visual. You remember he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, I'll give you all of this. See, And remember John chapter 2 verse 16 warns us that one of the key avenues of temptation is what is called the lust of the eyes. So uh, the media uh, utilizes uh, this visual aspect very effectively, and um, it is part of one of the um, clever satanic moves uh, from as ancient times as the book of Genesis, chapter number 3. So we're talking about the effects of media and media bias and the what they're trying to push, uh, the agendas they're pushing. came across this study... Overall, U.S. adults, on average, estimate that 25% of Americans are gay or lesbian. However, a Gallup poll found that only 4% of those surveyed in 2011 
and 8% of those surveyed in 2002 correctly guessed that fewer than 5% of Americans are gay or lesbian. Again, without skewing statistics, that's exactly what is oh, being that's done. Powerful. Oh, yeah, it is. It is because it's misleading, but it's deliberately misleading. Again, I want to remind you that there is clearly an ideological bias in the media. They have an agenda that they are pushing, a social agenda, a moral agenda, and they are going to skew the facts. And that is why the Christian needs to investigate and he needs to be very critical, filtering everything that he hears and sees. We have a caller from Nevis. Go ahead. Yes. Yes, good night. Um, I listen to a program on TV. I don't hear it much on the radio. I don't do a lot of the stations. But I used to hear it on TV, on the local TV. I haven't been watching TV of late, really. But, um, this thing since the AIDS epidemic and the homosexual agenda and so on. They, they, they used to say of pastors who actually lead their congregation into taking AIDS tests to find out if they are HIV positive. Now, in this they say that you must love, protect, and respect. Now, do, do you believe that uh, this is godly? If, if it is what? Godly. Godly, godly. Um, you mean a matter of taking people or asking people to take a test? Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Well, I'll tell you my... Let me give you... doing that. Yeah, let me... Okay, let me give you my view. Um, I... If a person is going, I'm a, if I'm counseling a person or a couple who wants to get married, and in my conversation and evaluation of the couple, uh, I, bec I become aware that they are not virgins, that they have been engaged in, in moral activity. Um, I do not marry people, period, unless they take an AIDS test as long as, long as they're not virgins. Mm. The reason for that is this. The AIDS virus can remain in your system, and you could be unaware of it for years. for years, 20 years, sometimes 15 years. My problem, but I, I think that Christians need to be more discerning, is this. Here you are in a church, you've been saved for, say, five years, um, or you've been brought up in the church. I say you're brought up in the church, you've kept yourself, you've lived godly, you've maintained your immorality, you've been a godly man or godly woman, and uh, you've lived within the, the parameters of biblical morality. Here comes a person, they get converted. They've been running wild, they've been in the world, they've been engaged in all kinds of sexual activity. Now they're in the church for three or four years. Uh, you get, become fond of each other, you met a romantic relationship, and now you want to get married. The problem there is, you just cannot rush into a marriage because you have affection and you have love for the person. If this person has been living in a moral life prior to the, in the pre-conversion days, you have to be very watchful and very careful that you do not make a decision that would jeopardize your own life. And that is why the AIDS test is necessary. And by the way, it's not just one test. Need to be at least two tests, six months okay. in each other. But you need to develop some kind of certainty. It would break my heart as a pastor that I were to marry a couple 
and later discovered that I did not take the precautions of having them had a test, even though I knew and had the information that they were living in moral lives prior to their conversion. I do not marry people who have been immoral in, in their past life unless they're willing to take a test so that I can have my conscience cleared in this matter. And by the way, uh, friend, what is love? Love is acting in the best interest and welfare of the person that you love. So I should want to know my status. If I have been an immoral and I am now dating out somebody who has told me, listen, I've kept myself to myself, I'm a virgin, I'm a, I've been a godly lady all my life, you should care enough to give her some kind of certainty that there's non -infect, no infection there. That's my, I don't think it's in ungodly. I think it's a proper thing to do. I think it's a wise thing to do because you don't want to unnecessarily infect somebody when you could have prevented it. So I don't see it as ungodly. I think it's a wise Christian thing to do. Thank you very much for that call. Pastor Murphy, in the last two minutes of the program, are there any helpful principles that you'd like to share in regard to uh, dealing with m media bias and living a Christ-honoring life? Well, let me just offer a few quick tidbits here. First of all, I think you need to do an honest evaluation of what you're watching. Um, if the media is that biased, and um, if they are pushing a, uh, a particular agenda that is clearly anti-God, anti-scriptural, anti-absolute um, in terms of morality, uh, clearly you have to watch. And you've got to understand that every program you watch, there is a producer who knows what he wants to accomplish and uh, um, plans to accomplish that through different means. So you've got to be aware that what is happening to you. So you need to be able to evaluate what is happening to you. The other thing is I think you need to ask yourself is, is this a good use of my time? Uh, the Bible talks about redeeming the time. And uh, we waste a lot of time watching a lot of stuff that we probably could have engaged in other activities that would be more helpful. So I think that's a, the, the stewardship of our time is a factor that needs to be... Um, to, then does it please the Lord? Is this something that I'm watching that Christ would be pleased with? Uh, there's a passage in Scripture that says, I will set no evil before my eyes. Uh, we need to be very watchful of that. The other thing is, uh, what example am I setting uh, for my other family members, if I'm a father or a mother, what example am I setting for my children? That is another thing that needs to be uh, taken in account. And then this other one, is it grieving the spirit? Uh, the spirit is a dove. He's, he's holy. Uh, he indwells me. Uh, he is the paraclete that comes alongside me. He, he has sealed me. Uh, am I grieving him? by watching what I'm watching, and is he offended uh, by that? And, of course, the next thing you need to ask yourself, is this something that is worldly? Uh, the Bible talks about love not the world, neither things of the world. If a man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. God bless you. Be sure you join us next week here on That's Truth. We're going to be discussing some religious movements over the next few weeks. And the one we're going to start out with next week is that of JWs. What does the Bible say about what the Jehovah's Witness movement believe? Does it agree with Scripture? Be sure you join us next week as we discuss that topic and encourage others to tune in. If you know of a Jehovah's Witness, 
or someone who is intrigued by that movement, encourage them to listen to That's Truth next week here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.